The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith. And one of us doesn't have a faith. But we still love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. (laughs) You are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome to Notes from the Underground. This is a podcast where we take a microscope to some of Christianity's thornier topics and people. Uh, I'm your host, Tiziana Mom So Hard Severse. And I've got a couple of friends with me today. On the left, I've got Ella Edgerton. Hi. How's it going? And then a Sarita the Edge Edgerton. Hello. Ladies, it's good to have you. That's my baby right there. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? And and you'll also notice uh, I did not intro Rick, the podfather Welch, and I did not intro Andy because they're not allowed to talk today. This is a ladies-only podcast because we are going to be diving into a ladies-only topic today. I mean, just kidding. No, obviously not, right? No, I'm dying right now. Yeah. <laughs> dying yeah, right now. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, you know, if you are a gentleman, please listen. We're not, you're not, you're not kicked out of the room. Uh, we're we're this not. Will, this yeah. will learn you something about yeah, your hopefully, woman. Hopefully this will learn you something and, and learn you something about yourself even maybe in the process. Can right? I just say right now? Yeah. I feel so much like that SNL skit where they did with, with um oh, what's his name? He just got indicted for manslaughter. Um. Alec Baldwin oh. with the Christmas one where they were like, the PBS is Oh, the, the NPR? Sh- balls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I feel like with the three of us oh, here my doing gosh, the female yeah. thing. Those are some of my favorite when it was funny. episodes when they were funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back in the day. That was, yeah, those are really funny. We might get a couple of those in there. We might get a couple of a good uh, puns in here while we're at it. But this, so the topic of our study today, uh, folks, ladies and gentlemen, and all y'all listening, is the Proverbs 31. So as we like to do here, we're going to go ahead and just start with a little bit of historical background. And then unlike previous podcasts, this one is going to be a little bit more of a discussion. So there's going to be lots of opportunities to pause and like chit chat and talk and feel this out because, you know, everybody interacts, everybody, like, okay, all of us walking, all of us in this room, we have our own way of walking as a woman in the world. We have our own unique experiences and our own unique um, interactions with God and our own unique uh, life stories. And so that's all important. And so I, I think that that rather than just like, you know, me talking, um, I'd like I'd like for everybody to feel free to interject because you're, you know, I used to have this pastor that always used to say, God wants to use, you know, your voice and your personal experience to reach your audience. And so that's the wonderful thing about scripture is that each person has the opportunity to like shine their own unique voice on that scripture and reach their own people. So I have a joke. Oh, coming in hot. Let's hear it. What is the title of the thinnest book in the world? Oh, Lord. The title of the thinnest book in the world. I have no idea. Weight Watchers. What? No. Uh (laughs) No, What men know about women. Boom. Boom. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There's a second edition. It's really big now. It's just all blank. (laughs) (laughs) It just looks better on a shelf, though. Well, 
you know, and that's like, I, I, yeah, I keep coming back in my own mind as I was doing this study to the, the Seminides poem that I'd read on women, which is like, you know, this like very ancient Greek poem about women. And, and yeah, it's just ridiculous and unacceptable. Yeah. Oh, oh is that you read that right on here? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was wild. Yeah. 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 Unbelievable. Well, traditionally, the Greeks didn't like women. They, they weren't even the human. Male they form. weren't even people. Hmm. They didn't. They were. They were non-humans. Yeah, yeah. And it goes back to what I've said on in here numerous times is that what Christianity has done for the female personhood, the mm-hmm. woman, is is liberating beyond belief. And that I that is what we are. Girl, you're setting it up. You're going to just set them up and knock them down. I love it because okay. that's what we're talking about today. So before we jump in to the actual scripture. Let's do, I did a little bit of like historical background uh, on Proverbs just in general, because I like to start out that way, thinking about the socio-historical context of these books. So Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon are all part of a literary genre referred to by scholars as wisdom literature. So we find this kind of literature all throughout the ancient Near East, and it's generally just concerned with the realities of human experience from the mundane to the sublime and with the relationship between that experience and the divine. So that's really what we're looking at here. Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon are all part of that. They're not necessarily historical books. They don't contain a whole lot. They're not history books. They don't have any references to the patriarchs or any of that. They're just sort of meant to be art. So a proverb, of course, is a short, plithy saying expressing insight or stating a general truth, and it's most universally unified. It's the most universally utilized form of wisdom literature, um, which as a global phenomenon has sprung up in India, Egypt, China, Greek, Greece and other Mesopotamian cultures as early as the third millennium BCE. So this is um, this is something that was around for a while, and the the Hebrew people picked up the genre and ran with it with the Book of Proverbs. So this particular book is a really amazing collection of folk wisdom that was likely collected over the years, but then compiled and written down under Solomon's reign which is why he's attributed in 1-1 as the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So, you know, I'm sure he did write some of them, but there are other, throughout the course of the book, there are other people that are referenced. Like, for example, we're going to be talking about Proverbs 31 today, which is an oracle of King Lemuel, which whatever, nobody knows who in the world that even is. So, or, or like the sayings of Augur are another one, you know, or like just the sayings of the wise, right? So, and, and this was also not an uncommon practice. So it makes me wonder mm-hmm. though, were there books or something that they were reading where if you said, this is the sayings of Augur, mm-hmm. everybody would have known what you were talking about. Like if I say, this is the saying of Stephen Hawking's, you may not know what he said. You may not have read any mm-hmm. of his books, but you know who, we, who, we, who we're talking about. This is, the, this is what Martin Luther King said. We just celebrated Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. We all know who that is. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, Lemuel, yeah, the brothers yeah. from King Lemuel's mother. I mean, it had to be maybe like that. Maybe she's like a... Yeah. The Brothers Grimm or a Mother Goose fairy tales or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Somebody knew who Mother Goose was. Somebody knew. Yeah. And somebody knew who the sayings of Augur were, like, uh, because they wouldn't have put it in the book if it wasn't relevant, you know? And, and that was also like a common theme because when Israel kind of coalesced into a monarchy, which didn't happen until Saul, and then you had David, and then you had Solomon. So this was like the kingdom was fresh. 
and they were doing good and they were thriving. So it was during this period of time that you started to see within the temple a lot of these things happening, a lot of these things being started to be written down because now all of a sudden there was money and there was like a concentrated space for the money to go. And there was now a temple that was a concentrated and specific space for the scholars to be doing their thing. There, you know, so it was also just, it. we read about this in the book of Ruth, how, you know, at the very end, we have the discussion about, and this is the lineage of David. And so that's kind of a way that we can we can date the book, but also it was just like common for during the reigns of these kings to be writing all of a sudden this material because it was part of how you uh, supported and lifted up the the monarchy because like all these wonderful things were being done like within their their reign. So, you know, so, so the collection started probably happening during Solomon's reign and he probably did write some of them, you know, that much we are Listen, sure. Listen, when you're in prosperity mm-hmm. and not war, you got time for art. You got time for art. That's exactly Otherwise, right. Otherwise, you're fighting. Exactly. And that's why and it's dying. also, yes. And so I think that's why this also happened during Solomon's reign, because that was a period of relative peace in the history of Israel. It was before the divide. It was before, you know. It was the, after David, who was a warrior king. Right. Who had created this this space of peace. Exactly. So I used to have friends that were in bluegrass bands and they used to talk a lot about like the Carter family tunes and how this is, this is a very similar situation. So like we have all of these songs that have been subscribed to the Carter family and AP Carter wrote them, but really he didn't. He took a lot of songs that were public domain or he took a lot of songs that were just like familiar songs from the folks in the holler and just put his own spin on them and wrote them down. And so it's possible that a lot of this is, is the same that we're, that we're experiencing here in the Proverbs. And folks, we just had a guest pop in Miss Lakeisha Lee. Hey. I'm so happy to see you. <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Keisha and I used to go Welcome. to church together for a long time, and we haven't seen each other for a long time. Yeah, we were yeah. cohorts in the youth ministry in our in our church and, and all kinds of stuff. And so I'm really excited that you're here because I think you're going to have some unique perspectives on this particular topic as well. Okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> all right, yeah, the traffic on 26 is just horrendous. It takes forever to get here. Mm-hmm. And the rain. It's not and helping. the rain. It's not helpful. And the construction. I call it the concrete funnel. Because that's what it feels. It feels like you're driving 80 miles an hour down a concrete funnel. It's the worst. It's the worst. Next to a giant behemoth of a truck going also 80 miles an hour through that concrete right. funnel. Oh, and they, and, and they keep moving because they're building it. They move the yeah. lane shifts so you never know where they're going to be. And no one knows what a solid white line is. Do not cross a solid white line. I'm telling you, I'm t- I don't even like driving with my kids on 26 anymore. I'm like, <laughs> you know, it's terrible. So, yeah. Whew. Anywho, now all that right, we back are to the consensus and agreed yeah. about that, yeah, back to A.B. Carter. So it's like there's some some aspect of the book of Proverbs follows this similar, this similar idea, right? Some of it is Solomon. We aren't necessarily sure which parts of it are. The first part, you know, the chapters one through nine, it, it follow a really interesting style that is familiar for other people that read um, ancient Egyptian uh, wisdom literature. There's a piece called Instruction of Amenemope, and it follows the same sort of style of like a parent teaching their child and all this instruction. So it's also possible that stylistically, you know, Solomon was doing a similar thing, but this is how we teach our people. You know, you may have heard it taught this way, again, because you're talking about a people that had come out of Egypt. And so it might have been even like sort of like a correction in some way of creating that same style of literature, but being like, but this is for our people. Because that's the other part about this book that I thought was really interesting is that scholars that 
have been dissecting the ancient Hebrew have been able to find no evidence that this book was influenced by Greek language or thought, which is not something we can say about the New Testament necessarily. So like this is just pure Jewish thought. This is before the Hellenistic period. So it might've been that last stages of compiling might've happened, like sort of like at the beginning of the Hellenistic period. But that's a really interesting piece too. Like this is just how the Jewish people thought and lived and instructed their family. At least in an artful yeah. or a litur- lit- liturgical sort of yeah. um, manner. Yeah. Yeah. With their songs and their, yeah. Better a scrap of roof with peace than a home with a quarrelsome wife. Just straight Jewish wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I think that's another piece about this particular book that I think is fascinating. So again, you know, again, because there's no real reference to anybody outside of Solomon, it's difficult to really say when exactly it was that all put we together. Know. Whom we know. We yeah. know Solomon. Right, whom we, we know. know. We, look, we don't know these other Ag- people. Agar or Agar or whatever, yeah. Agar, whatever his name is. Know. We don't know, but he's got to be somebody because he's referenced. Know. Exactly. So for us, the only like, you know, the, that's the only that's the only point. And the other thing is too is, is like because there's this like la- distinct lack of influence from other cultural uh, beliefs, which is awesome and gives us this sort of unique insight into like the thought process and the way that Jewish people were living their everyday lives. Um, we don't have any like other outside, uh, what's the word? A, we don't extra, extra biblical evidence based like on archaeological findings. Like we have that for a lot of things. We have you know these giant stone tablets that mention battles that are also mentioned in First Kings, so we can sort of triangulate and be like, oh, these pieces date from here. So this book dates from here. So this is how this works. You know, even like Ezra, for example, um, Ezra begins with this is an edict given by King Cyrus. The Lord's people are to return home. We actually have a copy of that edict. It's been found. It was written on a cylinder. And so because we have that, we can sort of like do this triangulating and cross-reference. We don't necessarily have that for, for Proverbs. And so it makes it fun and sort of like an exercise of faith and, and, uh, just a neat little, yeah. And, and, and also just, uh, an idea that we're, we're, maybe getting like some pure, pure thought, some pure ideas about how God wanted his people to operate, Mm -hmm. which is extra special considering what we're about to read. So I I don't usually stop and read like an entire thing before I get started, but I kind of want to do that this time because like, for example, even though Andy is sworn to silence back there and not allowed to participate due to his yak- lack of uterus. Not, not one word. Not one word. Well, I don't have one. Does that mean oh, I can't? Oh, no. Uh, due to his Y chromosome. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that he doesn't have androgen insensitivity syndrome, which would have gave him a girly body. We're going to ignore all of that. Because of your Y chromosome, Andy. Anywho, there's plenty of people out there that are listening that might be like, okay, what what are you guys even talking about? Because Proverbs 31, you know, I don't I don't know about you all, but I was intimately familiar with Proverbs 31 from like a very small age. Not very small, but I've learned about it since I mean, I yeah. became a Christian until I became 25, so Right. Yeah. So I, you know, grew up in church and Ella, you grew up in church. And yeah, I know you grew up in church. Yeah. I know you did. Yeah. So the Proverbs 31 was a subject that I was taught a lot. Ella, would you say you've been taught a lot out of Proverbs 31? I mean, I was her Bible teacher, so. Oh, well, 
Yes. Yeah. Um, honestly, from high school, I can remember that the church we used to go to, mm-hmm. they would always preach about what it means to be a good wife. Like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And then they wouldn't like preach anything else. Like they wouldn't really teach anything else. So I've heard yeah. about everything. Yeah. And that's really, and I have a- I have Everything a, a woman needs to know. Yeah. yeah. Right. And in order to be successful <laughs> These for five her man. paragraphs. Right. Well, yeah. and so, so I, I have a neighbor that lives behind me and her and her husband are awesome. They're in their sixties and they, you know, went to the um, West Asheville Baptist church for years. And I was telling her about doing this that I was doing this study and she gave this like giant full body sigh and was like, yes, the Proverbs 31 woman, the person that we can never measure up to. And I was like, yeah, that's literally how it's been taught. And so if you are a perfect woman, yeah, if you are uh, an, an XX human being, regardless of your uteral status, if you are listening to this podcast and that is your experience, darling daughter, we are going to help you set yourself free from that. If you are an XY chromosome and you're listening to this, let's give you an opportunity to hear maybe a different perspective if you've even been taught Proverbs 31, which is why we're going to read it. We don't necessarily know. I don't know how they teach the boys. I don't know how they teach the girls. It's, it's, it's almost like- Yeah, you don't know. No, you, I don't. You I, don't know. I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost like if you grew up with the experience of- pressures of the feminine in our culture yeah. kind of thing. So uh, I, let's just read it. So that way, before we do the rest of this, we can, if you are not familiar with this particular passage because of whatever reason, let's go ahead and read it. Um, and honestly, I can't believe I forgot my Bible. I never forget my Bible. So I have to look it up. Do you have your Bible, Sarita? I do. Girl, open it up. What 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 <laughs> version do you listen? Do you read? I have I have the ESV on my phone, mm-hmm. and then I have the New King James. I've been really falling in love with the ESV recently. Okay, so. all right. Well, yeah, I'm gonna load up my Bible. I have it on my phone, but like this is one of those moments where I'm, you know, again, I had the two kids today, which is fine, right? I do that all the time, and like trying to pack everything and get myself ready to rock and roll, and then as soon as Dylan gets there, it's like go go because he doesn't get at home until five and he has to take a shower because he's on like covered in fiberglass and asbestos and all this nonsense so he can't like breathe that in you gotta like immediately so he takes the fastest showers known to man but at the same time like the earliest i get out of the house is 5 13 so i i did my darndest but um i i don't yeah sarita why don't you go ahead and read just the whole thing since you have your bible sitting right from there. the beginning just like proverbs from, 31 yeah from the very first like yeah. number one okay. yep The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him, What, my son, and what, son of my womb, and what, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law, and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to him who is perishing." and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty, and remember his misery no more. Open your mouth for the speechless, in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. Who can find a virtuous wife, for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain." She does him good and not evil. 
All the days of her life, she seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her profits, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestries for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known at the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land, she makes fine linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, and her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. Yeah. So this particular chapter is divided. There's something about reading it out loud. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it important. Has a, it has something to it. It's just... Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, if we're going to be doing a scriptural study, right? Let's just make sure we're... Let's read the scripture so that we all know what we're talking about, you know? Um but this, so this particular piece is divided. So the first part you've got is verses one through uh, nine, right? And that is, you know, King Lemuel's mother, basically letting him know what are the what are the the foundations of a good leader. You know, don't be a drunkard, don't give your wisdom to with them, women. But what's also interesting is that it's an it says uh, so the translation that I have yours said a word from his mother. And other translations say like an oracle. A, and when we say a word from the Lord, uh, we're talking about not just that she spoke this thing of her own, but that she was inspired to speak this by God. And I did some research and there's a difference. Like an oracle, uh, according to the Holman Bible Dictionary, it gives us, um, it says it's a... Uh, not the same necessarily as a prophecy. So prophecy is a reception, a declaration of a word from the Lord through a direct prompting of the Holy Spirit and the human instrument thereof. And they're usually delivered through prophets and generally relegated to the department of predictions or declarations or judgments, which is what we see in like Isaiah and Ezekiel. This is a human being who has got been God's prophet for a period of time being delivered a word from the Lord and then it's disseminated. But an oracle is like slightly different. So an oracle is often, though not always, a divine response to a question asked of God and to pronouncements made by God without necessarily him being asked. So in one sense, oracles are prophecies because they sometimes deal with the future, but sometimes they just deal with decisions that are being made in the present. So Malachi is an oracle, for example, because Malachi specifically deals with like the way that they're worshiping in the temple in a, in a post-exilic, or uh, yeah, they're returning to their homeland, post-exilic uh, Israel. So I think that's a fascinating place to even start. Like first and foremost, in the world of ancient literature, we're writing down a word from the Lord that was given to this woman to instruct her son. Mm -hmm. The book opens with Solomon giving all of these instructions to his son, but it ends with a mother teaching her son how to reign properly 
and she's been given an oracle from God to deliver to her son. See, my commentary says that 31 Mm -hmm. is actually two poems, Mm -hmm. the wise king and the excellent wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have the first part, which is that's one through one through nine and then 10 and following is the second part. So, so one through nine is this oracle delivered from to King Lemuel from his mother on how to live and how to rule properly. And even that is just unusual in ancient, in ancient writings. And so even that from the beginning, like it gives us a slight picture, even though we don't know who King Lemuel is, like nobody knows. And since we don't know exactly why he's significant, it's difficult to say why his mom is significant, you know, but the name Lemuel means like of God. I wrote that down. Let me look for sure. L yeah. Translates. Yeah. Of L or belonging to God. So that's what's really interesting. At least there's that. But so, so so before we even jump into, you know, the rest of the the poem, you know, it's it's interesting that this piece starts with a mother instructing her son in a this unique way that only a mother can when it comes to how to deal with women and how how to choose a, a good one and how to guard your eyes and, and understand like where a woman's true value is, because that's like one of the first things she says is like, don't give your strength to women, right? Like, hold on now. So first of all, that's the first part. And then the second part is where we begin uh, this, this description of a worthy woman, the excellent wife. This is an acrostic poem, which is a form, it's a literary form where the first letter has some sort of significance. Either it spells out like a name or a, you know, a statement. In this case, it's the alphabet. So each successive verse begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is really interesting. And so, you know, commentators have reckoned that this could have two purposes. It could have been a mnemonic device because again, before this was written down, people were passing this stuff on word of mouth. And so oftentimes, you know, when you see acrostics, it has a, like a sort of, um, it has a practical purpose, which is to help people can remember it. But another interesting part, because it follows the alphabet, it's this idea that like everything that needs to be said has been said. Like this is a complete topic has now been thoroughly and completely discussed and nothing. It's like, it's like from A to Z, it has been discussed. And so there's nothing left to add. There's nothing left to to, to, to say. And so, and yet here we are discussing it. Yeah. Right. Well, I think that it has to do with like, cause the poem is about the praise of women and their purpose and their role and the gift that women are to humanity. And it's outlining all these different kinds of things, because the other thing that's really fascinating is that we've often, again, we've used this as sort of like, <sighs> we've used Proverbs 31 as a instruction tool for women that these are the tasks, these specific tasks that you are to engage in. You, these are exactly how you be a woman rather than what the poem was meant to be, which was an ode to women. It's a, it's, it's not necessarily about the specific activities that are being done more than it is the, the spirit and the energy with which these tasks are being done, you know, and in Jewish culture, and this is very interesting too, because I've read this from several different several different commentators that in Jewish culture, it's not the women who memorize Proverbs 31. It's the men. And on Shabbat, they sing it to their, to their women. They sing it to their wives. And if you watch the chosen season one, episode two, Shabbat opens with 
them reading this poem at Shabbat, a man reading it to his women. So like to his daughters and his, and when I say his women, let me clarify, the women in his family, his daughters, his, his sisters, his mothers. And so that just, that first piece for me was hugely freeing in a lot of ways, because again, it's always been, I don't know, remember the last time y'all got up when it was still dark, right? Or like made your own clothes from flax seed, you know, like there's a lot, you know, like I have been a business owner at different points in times in my life, but I'm certainly not like sewing sashes for merchants from afar, right? It's more difficult to to take some of these tasks and translate them into ways that we can, uh, things that we can understand. And so rather than like, okay, I have to do these things if I'm going to be a good woman in God's standard, it's more about understanding the value of women and praising them for all the things they do that they deserve to be praised for. And so that was something that I found as I was doing this research and as I was reading about it, I thought that was really interesting, you know? I think it's interesting too, because like in church and the study of the units that we've always done, it was always, we've always been taught like, this is how you're supposed to be and you want to be this type of woman. So I think we have that unrealistic expectation due to the way that culture is now or society is now of like, we do do a lot during the day, but are we doing some of these things? So it gives us this impossible goal yeah. to, to strive for. And we're like, oh man, I still have so much work that I need to to do. So thinking of it from the perspective of this was to pay homage to women is like refreshing in a way of like, yeah, we do all, all of these things in our own in our own in our way. Own way. Yeah. And, yeah. And maybe not a single woman does all of them because right. not every woman is married and not every woman is right. has children and not every woman, you know, is able to run her own business. But it's it's when you are able to do those things and you do those things in a way that is in service of God. And when you do those things out of the, the inborn and uh, God created nature of your femininity, that you deserve to be acknowledged and recognized for those things. I was having this whole conversation with somebody about this the other day, like the way that a first wave feminism, because it's shifted, but first wave feminism was all about like opening space in traditionally male environments for women, right? So women can go to work and women can do all these things. Women can have what men can have, you know, instead of just simply elevating the role that women were already occupying in society. And that has what has been, what has created this sort of like exhausted woman that is like, has been told you can, you know, have it all and you can be all these things and you can, you can have a successful career and you can be a stay at home. You can, you can have kids and we're exhausted. We're exhausted because it's, it's this idea that you can have and be all the things men are and have and be all the things women are. And that's sort of, I think, a mistake that was made in first wave feminism. And I don't know if we're in a place where we're trying as a society to correct that. But I was reading about how like Gen Zers, for example. Now, or what are you, Ella, how old are you? I'm 19. So you're Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Like how there's women within the Gen Z domain, like in that generation. They're like, you know, we don't want to have it all. Oh, yeah. You see it all the time. Like on TikTok. Because that stuff. sounds like it sucks. <laughs> well, you know, for yeah. the, her sister, who's two years older, mm-hmm. also Gen Z. Yeah. She said, people would say, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she would say something, you know, 
And then she would tell me, Mom, I want to be a wife and a mom. But I feel like if I tell people that, they look down on me. Right. And she got married at 19? 19. Yes. And she's been married two years, very happily. Mm-hmm. She, it, you know, she's not wanting to have it all. Um, I think that was a horrible lie that society tried to, or a horrible burden that oh, society yeah. tried to put on us. Oh. And I'm not a feminist. I love women and I love my daughters and I have raised them to be strong in their own right. But I did fall for that for a long time, that I could have it all. And when I dropped my first baby off mm-hmm. at daycare so I could go work for 12 or 10 or 12 hours that day and mm-hmm. then pick, I cried. And I couldn't do it. I said, honey, you're going to have to drop her off from now on. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And from then on out, it was trying to figure out a way that I could be a stay-at-home mom. And it wasn't until after I had Ella here that I got the chance to do that, to be a stay-at-home mom. And I didn't get to be a completely stay-at-home mom, but for the most part I did. And um, and I wouldn't have changed it for anything. And But you hear all the time, oh, I sacrificed my career to have children. I didn't do that. Yeah. Oh, man, that's that. been so hard for me because I felt that way. Like it's, for me it's, having it's a, kids. It's a lie. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's something that this study, I think that's kind of like one of the reasons why I felt like, because um, I really, this wasn't top on my list. The Holy Spirit was like, why don't you do a study on that? Because I I was like, ew. <laughs> I don't want to do that right now. But the more that I did it, the more that I realized, like, I've really struggled because I didn't have kids and wasn't married for a long time. And so I had a career and I had a business and I was going to school and I had these like aspirations. And then I had these kids and all of that had to like go on the back burner. And I felt like this enormous amount of grief because I had been working so hard. And I remember like, just like being so angry about it and like talking to Dylan and just being like, you know, this sucks. Like, how come you don't have to sacrifice everything? And I have to sacrifice everything. And you know, I'm like irrelevant now. Like I don't do anything in the world. And my husband looked at me in his eyes. He said, he, he like, looks so sad. And he goes, it breaks my heart to hear the patriarchy come out of your mouth because that's the patriarchy telling you that the work you do as a woman is invalued, is not valued. Or that because you're not exercising your rights in the career, you know, domain that you are somehow not an important piece, our family would fall apart if you weren't home. Like that's in itself. And I'm sorry that you're not getting recognition on a grand global scale, but like you are raising two young women that are going to that are going to be beautiful and have a, and and be a part of the world, right? In this wonderful way, because you were able to do that, which isn't to say that if you are a single mom or didn't have the opportunity to, you know, didn't have the opportunity to have additional supports and had to go to work, that that's not also has has a, has a, a story and a voice and a value, right? That's important. Yeah, I think like just speaking from the opposite end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. like, you know, I worked and I had children. So then you still have that same mom guilt that, mm-hmm. that you have if you, you know, stay at home or you or you leave because it's like, oh, am I sacrificing my children for my career? But I have to do this. Like, so this is what yeah. I have to do right now. So am I giving my children what they need? And then how do I find this balance? And I think all of it, whether you're a stay at home mom, whether you're working, it's all mm-hmm. about this balance that we have for ourselves and then mm-hmm. this 
expectation that society puts on us that, you know, we have to do these amount of things to be considered a good mom or to be successful or to be whatever it is, but all of it is. And I think like my children are 22 and 21 and what they're learning and what I tell them is like, your life is what you make it. And Mm -hmm. what you do with your life, like you, you live your life and you be the woman that you want to be. And however that shows up for the world, it's okay. And I think girls need to hear that more often. Like we need to know that that, that's okay. Whatever path you choose, because, you know, some of us are working, some of us are staying home, but that's the path that we are taking at that moment. So we just have to be fully in that moment and give what we can to our children. Yeah. And I'm I'm lucky enough to have a partner that can pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has that. I do have to say that I think where my mom guilt came in and it was that I couldn't figure out how to do my career and be the mom, a stay-at-home mom. So what I had to do and what I want what I what I chose to do is I waited tables at night. I was mm-hmm. home during the day. I tag teamed out the front door yeah. and went about my way and I, I waited tables and uh, several nights a week for gosh, 15 years in downtown Hendersonville, North Carolina. And um, you know. But the, at the same time, you know, people was like, so you're just a waitress? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Listen, or you're just a mom? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen, yeah. brah. Yeah. Um, before I came here, I educated four children, fed them, kept them alive mm-hmm. all day yeah. without any help from anybody else. And I came to work and I put food on your table and fed you and educated you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now you're going to leave me a crappy tip and then yeah. you're going to leave. Right. Whatever. They didn't always leave crappy tips. Right. But, yeah. Um, you know, like it's the it judgment. Wasn't, it mm-hmm. wasn't. It's just the judgment. And yeah. they looked down on me, mm-hmm. you know, and my husband lost his job when the economy turned in mm-hmm. 2008. Mm-hmm. Well, Waiting tables kept food in mm-hmm. my kids' mouths, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it kept clothes on their backs. Now, were they the nicest clothes? No. Did sometimes we have to go down to the food pantry? Yes. Did that bring a whole different kind of guilt? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But someone looked at me and said, are you doing what God has called you to do? And I said, yes, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. homeschooling my kids. And I'm trying to, to to raise them in fear and admonition of the Lord. Our house is filled with laughter and music and love and joy, sometimes yelling. Mm-hmm. And she can she can attest to this, but you know <laughs> Ella's like, I'm playing the fifth. I'm not She's an adult, she can't get in trouble anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but um all that to say is I think if we can figure out how to tell each woman you can't do all this. This this is not one human being. This is like an amalgamation yes. of yes. human women mm-hmm. and, and their strengths. And these are, the, look for these things. If you get five out of the 10 or how many ever, you're doing great. But a person who's idle and lazy all the time, you're going to have trouble. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have a woman, you're going to come home from work if you if she gets to stay home and the kids are going to be nasty and they're not going to have yeah. been fed mm-hmm. and whatever. The thing is, look for these qualities. And if you get, the majority of them, yeah, you're doing fantastic. And if I can be, mm-hmm. some of them I am, yeah. Some of them, some of them I have been, yeah. So I obviously don't have the toned arms that the lady does in the story, <laughs> but at one time I did. <laughs> oh man! But it I, makes me wonder yeah. since you since you mentioned it, and since my Gen Z daughter is here, yeah, do you feel that kind of pressure? Sometimes, especially like being on social media, there's a lot of 
guys my age who are like are like if she's not a proverbs 31 woman i don't want to marry her and i'm like well how am i supposed to live up to these like perfect expectations of what a woman should be you, you know what makes me really the saddest thing about that to me is that these men have not been given the proper heart and attitude about this particular poem and so they are missing out on how beautiful your relationship with a woman can be when you start every day, every Friday, singing a song of praise to her worth and her value. That is the point of the poem. It's in a, in a, it, because the reality is all of history has been a patriarchal culture. We see in the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. From Adam. The, right, for mm -hmm. all of history, right? Mm -hmm. But we see, and I just got goosebumps when I say this, we see this all the time, God's God's value of women, right? Because created he them in his image, both man and women, right? With innate God nature and innate God value. And we see this all the time. Every time God wants to work a miracle, he finds a barren woman and gives a son. Mm -hmm. Or a teenage you know? girl. or yeah, yeah, or a teenage girl. And so- And I said this to you- mm -hmm. Quiet. Not, when we, at the end of another podcast we were recording, mm -hmm. I said to you, did you ever realize that God made Adam out of dust, breathed life into him, mm -hmm. but he made Eve out of bone? That's right. That's right. Well, see, Which is a much harder, more dense. A, a substance. Substance. Right. And uh, this. Made of fortitude. Exactly. And I think that like the thing is about, about, so like. The thing about patriarchy, and I've been listening to this awesome podcast called Man Enough that's really good, and it's just like men talking about how to be the men in a world that has also, because the thing about a patriarchal standard is that it also robs men. It, we nobody feminized wins. our men. We've feminized our men. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that means exactly. No, go ahead with what you're saying. No, but what I mean is, is that like, you know, so instead of this poem being an opportunity for men to offer praise, to offer an ode, to live in a place of gratitude for their companion, it's been twisted to be, if you don't live up to this, you're not good enough for me. And that's what you feel like you see on social and media. And that's what you're seeing yeah. on social media. I do media. have to say, though, like, not every guy, obviously, is like that. I have a lot of friends who are not that way. And I have yeah. a lot of friends who are dating guys who mm -hmm. are not that way. Yeah. And so, like, I do have to say, like, not every guy, because I'm seeing a lot more on social media. There's a lot more people my age who are starting to say, like, hey, yeah. we want to be able to make enough money for our, our wives. But, like, with the economy and everything, it makes it hard. But, I mean, that's their goal. That's my brother-in-law's goal. Mm -hmm. He's told me that. He said, my goal in life is to be able to make enough money to let my sister stay at home if possible. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's kind of it's going to be hard, but that's his goal at the end of the day. So there's kind of a shift going on in our society and my generation at mm -hmm. least maybe not everyone but mm -hmm. who are like starting to see the other side of it like hey it's okay if my wife stays home it's okay if she works like they're kind yeah. of just more we're we're, not, we're we're it sounds like we're moving in a direction where we no longer have a narrative around the stay-at-home person and that I, the stay-at-home person is like less than because like you know your husband was a stay-at-home person for a while with the older sister yes. and there's this idea that like you know that it made him less than or that it he didn't go out in public or, really ever and that was fine because he's an introvert yeah but for me I'm like I need play dates and I've got to sure. I've got to talk to other adult human beings oh, yeah, like I can't, I can't just have my little pony all day long yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, but he, <laughs> but he would go out and people was like, oh, they must be divorced. So it must be his day to have the kids or whatever. Like yeah. that's sort of the, the, and I made three times as much as he did at mm -hmm. the time. And I was good at my job. I was good at it. However, now that I'm on the other side mm -hmm. of raising kids, you're on the other side, Lakeisha, you said, 
and and the focus that I I have though I'm still homeschooling. This is my last official semester of being the homeschool mom, mm-hmm. if you will. I just turn into a facilitator for the next two years. You get my... to graduate too. Not yet, <laughs> but he's going. He's <laughs> dual enrolling. Yeah. So this will be my. I'm in my 17th year of homeschooling. Mm-hmm. But now that I have my real estate career, mm-hmm. and I know you're embarking on a new part of your education career, you want to be a principal, I think she was telling us, or you want to be a, an administrator of some sort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All the things that got me here, mm-hmm. the long nights, the the sleepless nights, mm-hmm. the bloody noses in the middle of the night, yeah. I mean, all of those things have made... The, the path that I'm choosing to follow now that I feel like God's calling me mm-hmm. it, it have made me the woman that I am so that I can be this now in the second part or whatever part of my life we mm-hmm. are. It doesn't mean that I'm no longer their mom. It just means now the focus is no longer on every single moment of my day on the children. And yeah. I loved that part of my life. And I never thought I'd get to be that I, I wasn't raised to be that kind of mom. I mm-hmm. was raised, you go to college, you get a job, you have some kids, you drop them off daycare, you go back you, you, and you you work. And this is the cycle over and over again. Mm-hmm. I would not trade one moment as hard as homeschooling was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pointing at my daughter. Yeah. As hard as it was in some, yeah. in some parts, I wouldn't trade it. I've had the most precious, and I have an education degree, I have the most precious moments yeah. with my children that I would never have had had the Lord put me on a different path. Mm-hmm. The Lord put me on this path, mm-hmm. and I feel like I have done the best of my ability. I have failed in some spots. Mm-hmm. We all have, right? Mm-hmm. I have been really successful in some spots, and I am joyous with it. I have, at least right now, four children and a son-in-law who are walking with the Lord I cannot ask for anything more than that. Mm-hmm. I, I really can't. They love the Lord. They're seeking Him daily. Mm-hmm. I, I can't ask for more than that. Yeah. And I feel the same way. Like with my daughters, I have three, but with my daughters, I've spent my time as being a mom trying to take some of the expectation that society puts on them off of them and let them know, like, you can love the Lord but you can do this as well. You can love the Lord and you don't need to hold yourself. I mean, hold yourself to high standards. Yes. But know that you're going to make mistakes and you're going to fail and it's okay. It's okay. That's how we learn. That's how things happen. And I think because I took some of that pressure off of them, they're able to be like, you know, they're in college. One's getting ready to graduate college and they are on their career path and they're proud of who they are. You know, Mm -hmm. they, they love who they are and they know, they know who they are. And I think that that's like really important. So it's not, they're looking for a man is not going to have to tell them who they are. They know who they are. Yeah. And, you know, and they know their, they know their worth, you know, they know that they're a Proverbs 31 woman within their own right of what they do. And they know they don't have to do you know, dot all the, all the eyes. you know, they can be who they are and that's okay. So I agree with you on that. Like that's the purpose of this journey. I think as women, like we, to know our children, tell our children, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to make mistakes. That's going to happen sometimes, but be who you are, learn from the mistakes, keep growing, keep loving God, you know? And the rest will fall <laughs> into place. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. I like- think clarity of message. Yeah. Whatever the message is, but the message, TZ and I are a little bit closer in age. I'm, I'm older. I'm going to be 50 in a couple of weeks, but. Well, Keisha, how are you? You're my, are you 39? I'm 43. 43. So mm-hmm. she's so actually, I'm 42. I thought she was in her 
Thank you. I know. I appreciate that. That good, it's, that good, it's that good, lovely skincare. Yeah. I gotta know yeah. what's your skincare yeah. regimen. But yeah. anyway, she makes skincare. Oh, um, really? wow! Um, but as as a, I'm a Gen Xer, 50 year old, mm-hmm. almost 50 50 years old. The message was never very clear. Yeah, my mom was a stay at home mom, but she was like, "You're going to college." You're going to get a degree. You're going to have an education. And then when you're like 30-something, you can have kids. And then I was like, but you had your first child when you were a teenager. I mean, she was married. Mm -hmm. But you had your children in your 20s. And by Mm -hmm. the time you were 26, your body was back to the way it You know, (laughs) you don't drop weight in your 30s like you did in your 20s. Listen. Then when you get to 50. Listen. Oh, man. I had these two kids, y'all. I had them at 39 and 41. It is, you know what? The old gray Mary was she used to be. I'll be 42 in August. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought you were in your 30s, too. Thank you. I know, right? <laughs> Thank you. It's running around after these kids. Uh, you know? I, but it's yeah. a lot of fun. Speaking about guns, I was laughing because I went to the gym the guns? other day. Did we speak about yeah, guns? Yeah, you were talking about arms. Oh, arms. Right? <laughs> arms, right, guns. I was like, I was thinking about weapons, but guns, you're thinking about yeah. arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in the in the the slang, the slang the kids these days, these days use. So I, I went to the gym, and I was going to take a high-intensity interval training class. Because I'm not new. I love I've, I've been here before, right? I, I know how to exercise. I like it a lot. I just had a C-section. And so everything from the neck down to the knees is a little jigglier than it used to be because I had a lot of immense healing to do in order to get back to this place. So I go to this class and the instructor like gives me this like sideways glance. And let me just tell you everybody else in that room. Oh, I don't think any of them had any kids. All of their bodies were just like rock hard, right? And he like, he kept like looking at me sideways as I'm trying to follow along everyone else set up, but he didn't really like talk to me or anything like that. And he came over to me and he said, so uh, this is your first time in this class. I'm like, I was like, what's your fitness level? Not what weight do you typically lift? Yeah. Not what exercises you typically do, which is generally when I've been to a class for the first time, how that question is asked. Not like an up and down at my postpartum 20 being like, uh, what's your fitness level? And I was like, I didn't, I, I looked at him and I, in my head, I thought my fitness level is I carry a 30 pound toddler and an 18 pound toddler up a flight of concrete steps every day because if I pick up the baby, the toddler wants to be picked up too. That's my fitness level, sir. You know, <laughs> my fitness level is tossing children like bags of flour because they like to be lifted up in the air when we're listening to music. Okay. Don't question me. I have reserves. You have no idea. Shut up and give me the weights. I was so <laughs> mad because I could tell he saw the extra weight. Right. And he didn't understand that there is a bone underneath this. <laughs> like, like, I can handle the class. Also, I know how to read. So <laughs> I did read the class description, like, <laughs> but that happens, right? Like, yeah, you get, I don't know how I got it. I don't know how I got there, Sarita. Okay. Well, let's, let's go back to, let's go back to the virtuous valor, the virtuous the valorous, valorous woman, <laughs> valorous woman. Yeah. So, but, 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 but so what this poem is, and um, if I can just surmise what I think or summarize what I think we're saying, right? So this poem is all about these attributes and these things that women do. And we live in a culture that instead of um, recognizing that this is an ode to women has made it a rule and a, like a mark that women are like a ruler, like a ruler or a measuring stick. And so what we've missed is the fact that whatever, however you choose to be a woman, it's not about these very specific things because not every woman has a child. Not every woman, you know, some women have their own businesses, some women don't, whatever. It's about doing, it's about recognizing that however God made you as a woman, you were made in his image and the way that you uniquely walk in the world as a woman is valuable and it's important 
and it's different than the way men walk in the world. And that's good. And it deserves to be acknowledged and lifted up. And I think that like back to your mom, you said that you're going to go to school. You're going to, you're going to go, go here and do this. I think that was another thing about first wave feminism is that like the appreciation had been removed. Right. And it was like, yeah, but you do these things because you're women, like that's your job. Like you shouldn't, you don't deserve necessarily as a, on a societal level. Cause I'm sure some men like really care for their wives, but I read a 1950s economic book home, like a home economic book one time. And it was like, you know, keep the children from him when he gets home from work. He's had a hard day and doesn't want to talk to them. You better have a meal on the table the second he walks in the door. Meanwhile, my children would launch themselves off the top step. This one right here, daddy's home, like flying off the top step (laughs) into his arms. I... I would net, that's one of his most precious memories. I would never have shielded him from those children when he got home. And that's what I mean about patriarchy could have robbed from men too, because it was almost like if you enjoy being a father, if you enjoy your young children, like that you are less of a man. So really you need to have a stoic dad. Like my husband loves my girls when he comes home and like the baby like crawls as fast as she can, you know, but like there was a period of time where those, those gender roles were so restrictive that what we what I think happened is that we were robbed of the actual reality of it, which is the gratitude of each person being a pillar in the home. And that with the two together, you know, we hold this up as a team. Not like, yeah, obviously you're gonna make the dinner because I make all the money, right? Yeah. Instead of like, thank God I have a a, a partner at home that is doing all of this work for our family, right? Like that's the piece that was missed. And so- and, Or denigrated. What missed? It was, mm-hmm. so it was denigrated. denigrated. That's it. Um, that's and, it. And, and that, oh, yeah. keeping a clean house and cooking for two, five, four, six people. Mm-hmm. Three and times work, a day. And working mm-hmm. and educating. And like yeah. that's all denigrated as- Less value than if I had gone out and slogged a, a fifty-hour week and right, right. made ninety thousand dollars a year, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, you know, that's just so you're almost looked down upon if if that is your your goal in life. And I think that's an aspirational goal. I I looked at my oldest daughter and I said, "Don't you ever be ashamed that that is you want to be a good wife and a good mom? Right? Don't ever." I said, "If people look down on you, that's them." You only have to think about what God values your worth at. And she found a man who valued that as a mm-hmm. wife. And that is wonderful because that's the way that, that that's the path that God has for her at some point. Um, but when we denigrate the natural role of the feminine and the natural role of the masculine in the method that it was meant, as far as I'm concerned, scripturally, I know we may differ in here a little bit about that thought, but but we're here to talk about what we agree about. Yeah, <laughs> but like the roles that yeah. they were given. Yeah, yeah, and just the natural. If you had told me when I was yeah. Ella's age mm-hmm. that I I was going to nurture a family and educate them at home mm-hmm. and and cook mm-hmm. three meals a day and teach them to cook and I'd have been like you. You lost your mind. Mm-hmm. You have lost your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to be a career woman and I'm going to break the glass ceiling and I'm yeah. going to do all these things. And I, yeah, I didn't want that. When she came along, she's my second, mm-hmm. Ella's my second. 
I just I wanted nothing more than to be there for every single moment with her that I missed with the oldest one. And then I had the two boys and I was there for that too. And I, I would not trade that for the one million dollar beach house and all the cars that I could afford yeah. and 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 that kind of thing. I, I just wouldn't trade it, not for a minute. I'll I'll tell you something. I, however you have your however your children appear in your life, you're a mom. Mm-hmm. However your children show up, if you are a mom to those children, you are a mom to those children. And I never I would never take that away from a mother. And that's to the grandmas raising kids yep, the, and the aunts raising kids, right? And the yep, sisters, you know, yeah. the, the aunties. You know, my great grandmother was raised by her aunt because her mom didn't really like girls. Right? This was in 1903. Right? So Cynthia, Aunt Cynthia was a mom. Right? But you guys, when I made a person in my body and then brought it out into the world, I was like, <gasps> I, I had no idea the sense of empowerment and worth and value that that was going to give me internally mm-hmm. and the cognitive dissonance that I experienced walking out into a world that acted like that was commonplace Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, whatever. That's what you do. Who cares? Whatever. It's not that important. I had to really sit with that. Oh, and the fact that you've thought that too. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it, Sarita. Because I, I didn't realize how little, I just got goosebumps all over my whole body. I didn't realize how much of that I had bought into mm-hmm. until I had a baby. Mm-hmm. And like, Every, like my whole belief system about who I am and my value and my worth. That's why at the top of the episode, I made a comment about how like when I, I, I struggled to be comfortable being a stay-at-home mom. I felt like I had sacrificed my career and all stuff. That's why like Dylan looked at me and was like, oh, oh my, that is like, that is your indoctrination under patriarchy coming mm-hmm. out of you. Mm-hmm. That's not how you really believe. That's not how you really feel because I've listened to you talk about it. Like, you, you know, and so like, in this period of time in my life where God has, has, oh, I want to say forced me to be a stay at home mom. I don't mean it that way, but that's like took away any he's option. Given you that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He's just given me that role and that's the role that I'm in. I am almost ashamed to admit that how much like I forking love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you for not cussing. I did that on purpose. Thank I you. practiced that the whole <laughs> way down here. I practiced that because I, it's the emphasis I need at times. I've been like, I can't believe how much I like it. Do you know what I did the other day? I made a beach for the girls on the inside of my house. I took a bunch of Cheerios and pureed them together with avocado oil and then put it on a tray with all of their beach toys and then put the beach on YouTube and then took a tub of water that I put blue food coloring in and then put it down on a towel. And my three-year-old You was, just homeschooled your children, by mm-hmm. the way. Yep. She was <laughs> running around screaming, we're at the beach. And we were like, she had the most fun ever, you know? And like, but like 22-year-old Tiziana, I would have never, mm-hmm. I would have never, ever. Mm-hmm. I loved my nieces and nephews and I loved it when they went home. I did not have children until I was almost 40. You, and you know, Keisha knows I love kids because her and I worked in the youth department. I love those children mm-hmm. and I, I care deeply for children. But they got to go home to somebody else. But I would have never thought it's that so much about, of my identity yeah. and the pleasure that it gave me mm-hmm. to create that environment for my children, mm-hmm. like the pleasure that it gave me. Listen, let me back that up a couple of steps. Yeah. Okay. 
I never thought that the moment the pastor said in December 11th of 1991, I now pronounce you husband and wife, I got chills that I, I still remember being called a wife for the first time. What an amazing role. Like mm. I was, I'm somebody's wife. Like, yeah. I'd only been somebody's yeah. daughter or somebody's sister, but I have this, I get to be somebody. What does that mean? And then I felt that way the second. And then the, <laughs> I was wondering, <laughs> then the next time when they said, you're a mommy. Yeah. Yeah. I went, that's a great title. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I got to be a mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not always the greatest title, but in my case, mm-hmm. whew, you get other, to be Naomi. The other people, mm-hmm. they got a high standard to live up to, to bring home an in-law. Um, but yeah, like just having these titles that at 21, I'd have been like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, don't want to do that. Don't want to be somebody's wife. I don't want to be somebody's ball yeah. and chain. Right, right, right. Because of the because of the social narrative around not just not elevating the role of women, but denigrating it. And I think it's in the simplest of places. Like I was married when I had my second daughter, but the, it was only my insurance that paid for her birth. It wasn't even his insurance that paid for it. Because even in that regard, for some reason, it's still like we still haven't elevated. For example elevated the powerful thing that happens when a woman gives birth to a baby that everybody wants to figure out how to support her to care for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was still like, yeah, but you know, now you're going to have $30,000 worth of medical bills Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I'm going to say something a little controversial here. And when we made it my body, my choice, and you take the father's role out of it, out of any decision that is made, and I tr- truly get it. I understand. Mm-hmm. I have been on the my body, my choice side of things. Mm-hmm. When you take the father's role out, and and some people don't even say who the father. Now, some fathers just run away and that's not there. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. But, but if the father wants to be a part of that, we've taken away any say that he has. Now, there are some states that are trying to make a registry. So if I got pregnant, <laughs> if I got pregnant, and I wanted to put him on the registry, he would be financially responsible for the baby mm-hmm. if I chose to keep it. And he would have, you know, but I think when we have, you, you go back to, I don't know when the role of the father stopped being necessary for children. I well, think that's it's exactly very important. Right. And the role of the mother, those traditional roles, yeah. there's nothing wrong with them, except yeah. they didn't fit whatever narrative that was wanting to be. Yeah. And then like in terms of like industrialization and modernity, if you have a man that cares for his children and wants to be at home with his children, you have a man that's going to be less productive. And so if I can tell you that loving your children and wanting to be home with them isn't something that you should want as a man, mm-hmm. that you shouldn't even want that as a man, then it will be a lot easier to get you to work 60-hour work weeks now, won't it? Well, and I, I think that's part of it too. Yeah, and it's for, for, you know, if you're a stay-at-home mom, are you producing taxes? Nope. Yeah. You know what's funny? My daughter was diagnosed with developmental delay, so she was given a voucher to go to daycare. We still had to pay. We still had to pay, but we paid a, a reduced price because it was medically necessary to get her around other kids and around quality education to get her up to speed because she was she was born premature, right? But because I don't work 
because I don't, I don't have a, like, because I didn't make $6,000 or more. Cause I do work a little bit here and there. Right. But it's very small. We don't, my husband, we don't get to write off all the money we spent on her daycare off on our taxes. That, but we still paid that money and it was still a medically necessary diagnosis. Like even that in some ways is punishing the stay at home mom is punishing a family for having a single earner by not allowing for the same kind of tax deductions that any family in in our same tax bracket would have gotten because we're not in a huge tax bracket. You know, we still qualify for Medicaid. That's how little money we make, right? But just because one of us is the stay-at-home parent, we don't qualify. We don't have that amount of money we paid recognized. And even that is sort of like, it's it's still, it's punishing families for having a, one of the parents be be a stay-at-home parent in some ways. I mean, you know? that, that's still the case too for like single parents. Like if yeah. you make too much money, according to, even though you might be making barely mm-hmm. enough to live off of, right? Mm-hmm. You don't qualify for anything, Yeah, but you know, you're in this new bracket. And yeah. so you're like, it's like a punishment. Like, do I want to achieve more and yeah. I, and still struggle? Yeah. Or do I not try to achieve more so I can get more support. Yeah. And it's a just, you know, it's the way we have things set up now, it makes it hard yeah. to, you know, for families, for single people, married people, whatever, yeah. it makes it hard for us to elevate if we want to elevate or whatever our norm is going to be. It just makes it hard for us. It to makes survive. it hard. And yeah. that's that's one of the things that like I've always like that's one of the key arguments that I now have. I didn't have this before, but like when we talk about America's a Christian nation, I'm like, then we need to subsidize families that have a stay at home parent. Mm-hmm. You need, you know, you need to have every child have the same access to like the same early childhood education, the same quality, you know, like we should be like, we should be, if that was the case, then I think we would live in a nation where we would honor and acknowledge and uplift women and children. But in my case, I didn't want access to that education. So why shouldn't I get that money back? Access to which education? Any education. education. I didn't want my child, my children in public education. I had been a teacher. So you were saying having so a So then you should get a subsidy for the work that you do as a stay-at-home parent well, teaching I just your get, kid. I should just get my taxes back. Maybe. I mean, I just say there should be some way for there to be a, an acknowledgement that if you are doing have been all asking this extra for work. Since 1993 when it became legal. Give, just give us, we have to pay for our own curriculum. We have to do our own stuff. We still pay taxes to the school that we don't have access to. Well, you, in North Carolina, you don't. In South Carolina, you do, but. Wow. Yeah, in South Carolina, my kids could play sports teams, be part of the orchestra, play in the band. North Carolina, nope, cannot do it. So, so you have to pay taxes in North no Carolina. Access. No equal access. If you're going to homeschool your kids. but you pay ta- Everybody pays taxes yeah. to the yeah. local school sure, system. Sure. Wow. For nothing in, in North Carolina. For nothing. It's because they use property taxes? Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a whole other conversation. Yes. That, so that, anyway, that we're not preferentially. Gonna... <laughs> yeah, because that preferentially creates so, better school systems and you know places that have higher yeah. property taxes. People love a meritocracy until it costs them money. Yeah. So, do we want to solve the world's no? We want to talk about, about problems. Problem 31. 31. But like, <laughs> yeah, right. 
Sorry. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. But that was kind of this, honestly. But we this can was, solve the world's problems if you want to. We can try to well, solve But this is this really issue. what I had in mind. And speaking of which, this might actually be a good place to like put a pause in this because uh, we've, we we try to keep our episodes at just about an hour, a little bit more. And so uh, th- we want to thank you guys for listening. And I think that this is a good place to put a pin in it because I think we have set the stage and now we can like do the next piece which is actually going through the the poem itself. So, um, you know, Ella, Sarita, and Keisha. And the, very and, little bit Andy. And yeah, and and only <laughs> only only when it supports what we're already saying, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys like, you know, enjoy this episode and uh, share it with friends and come back uh, next time on Notes from the Underground where Notes from the Underground where we're going to, you know, actually talk about the actual scripture. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye, y'all. We'll see ya. So we can do the... <laughs> I don't even know how that? it works. Rick always does, does it. Does Rick do that? There it is. She's got it. I was yeah. doing it wrong. You didn't do your pacao, but I don't think I introduced you properly. No, you didn't. It's fine. Don't matter. You don't matter this time. Nope. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. All right. I will say this, you know, the soonest that I can leave my house on a regular basis is like today I left at 513 because Dylan gets home at five. And of course he's covered in fiberglass and, you know, asbestos or whatever, because he's an electrician. So he, it's like, it's imperative. He has to shower because he can't touch the children with all that stuff on him. So, you know, he got home at five o'clock directly showered. I got in the car. It's like the soonest I could leave was 513. And I still, it still took me that long to get here from Hendersonville because the rain and the traffic and all of that stuff, you know, it's frustrating. Frustrating. Um, but yeah, so it's been nice to sort of like, without the extra added challenge of, of artificial hormonal influence, get a chance to sort of like evaluate that, that narrative a little bit. Because I'm curious, you know, chicken or egg, like obviously some people have a cycle that causes a lot of problems and that's Valid, but there's also I say, people. I would say that your general topic mm-hmm. is probably medicine worldwide. Like, oh the, yeah, the, the field of medicine. We want to rush to overmedicate instead of trying to figure out what gets to the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah, and, and don't so- ever mention holistic to a regular doctor. Unless you go to a holistic doctor. Because they think you're hilarious. Because they think you're... Yeah. Because <laughs> they think you're hilarious. Because right. they know it doesn't work. Or they think it doesn't think work. It doesn't but work, for yeah. some people, it does. Just like some drugs don't work for right. some people well, where some like, drugs do. Here's the thing. 90% of everything that'll ever happen to you in your life will go away no matter what. Sure. So like having a bunch of holistic medicine and then being like, I got better. Like you're probably going to get better anyway. Statistically, no matter what happens to you. You're you're going to get better. As a matter of fact, you're only not going to get better once, really. Every other time in your life, <laughs> you're going to get better. Yeah. And you in most of the time, with just like normal care, proper you know proper care, healthy you know whatever, and rest, you're going to be fine anyway. Short of like you know broken bones, things like that. I will say, you know, that being said, acupuncture has done wonders for me. 
I and when I was struggling to get pregnant, um, acupuncture and herbs to help support, you know, the uterus and and healthy cycles was helpful. Yeah, maybe I don't I don't I don't know enough about that uh, to. Really... That's right, Andy. That's to, lady. To speak, t- that's to lady speak talk. Directly on acupuncture. No uterus. No, <laughs> no opinion. I, meant, I'm just I was no, no. I was talking about the acupuncture. I just, oh. well, I I'm have giving you a hard time. Opinions about your uterus. I yeah. Well, I'm sure well, you do. Well, I don't have one, so no, you don't. <laughs> Yo, mama. Yeah. No, I Yo mean, mama I mean, has I a uterus. There's a distinct lack. Yeah, a distinct lack of gentlemen in the room for a reason today. I'm wearing women's sneakers. I, uh, maybe if that helps. Oh, that is helpful. That is helpful. 